because you're jumping back into the gut. All right. Hey, Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. It's super to welcome Jean Tabak with us today, head coach for Basket Zolongora, champions of the Polish League, but most importantly, someone who's had an incredible journey in basketball as both a player and as a coach and someone who runs the Tabak Basketball Academy, former NBA player, professional player as well. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Great to have you here, Coach. I mean, your background's incredible, and uh, obviously you reached the highest level as a player and as a coach. And uh, question, from playing to coaching and being exposed to so many different styles through Europe and the NBA, how has your philosophy changed the most? Uh, when I start as a coach, I learned the one thing. I start here in Spain. I'm currently living in Spain. And during the, my playing career, I move a lot from uh, different parts of words, and I learn different approaches to the sport and the basketball. But one thing that I learned uh, in the coach, in the start of my coaching career almost uh, 15 years ago, was that uh, coach should never stop to develop, and coach should never stop to trying to get better. So I think so year by year, the way I was seeing the new stuff, the way uh, I was trying to use different things. My uh, philosophy and the look on the, the way is a basketball uh, it changed. Also, the, from the time when I was started to play, that was uh, 1984. Until time uh, when I started to coach, that was 2007. Until now, basketball also changed. So if you don't change, uh, you are not able to keep going with the new modern uh, way of the seeing basketball. No question. No question. And uh, it's, it's a great, great way to be able to go into a topic that has changed arguably the most, and that's post play and the way that post players are, are used. And certainly since you played as a traditional, more traditional back to the basket post. So can you talk a little bit about the changes in post play? Uh, I actually, one month or two months ago, I had a webinar for FIBA for the World Basketball Organization about these topics. And uh, the, the team that I coached last year, we really played, uh, let's say, not completely modern basketball. Uh, it's meaning that we were playing a lot of the post, that we were using uh, uh, our big man, our four man, and our three, uh, three position unconventionally for uh, today basketball. Uh, so I do have a lot of experience in this. And also, I need to say that as a hobby, not as my principal job, I'm having annually big man camp here in Madrid, Spain, where I'm working uh, with a professional uh, big man from all over the Europe and some of them outside of the Europe. And also during the years, during the summertime, I did a lot uh, individual workouts with the professional athletes, uh, especially in, in the interior uh, position. How did basketball uh, and the position uh, and the interior game change? Well, first 
Well, I need to say that uh, I will be I will be talking more from the European stand of the point because uh, as a player, yes, I did play seven years in NBA. Yes, I did work as a scout for NBA teams, but uh, my basketball uh, knowledge and philosophy in the most of the cases come from the Europe as a player and now recently as a, as a coach. So when I came first time as a rookie to uh, NBA, I had a huge problem because in the Europe at that time, we were playing 30 seconds shot clock basketball. And the second of all, uh, coming to the 24, I needed a huge adjustment. I didn't, I didn't need to learn the basketball, but basically I need to speed up. My uh, uh, time of taking decision was much, much shorter and it took me two or three months to, uh, uh, to adapt. Uh, so I think so. The first reason why it changed is because game is a much much quicker, and the game is a much much uh, more in transition. And for that kind of the game, uh, you need a different profile of the body of the big man. Is meaning somebody who wants to play inside and dominate the game inside. Usually, there are people who are. Uh, uh, physically dominating, especially in the static force. Yes, they are good athletes, but more anything in the static force. Most of the cases, this kind of the profile of the body and the players, they are not good in the transition game. And the more than anything in today's small ball, in today's pick and roll game, because today mostly everybody are playing isolation or pick and roll, or they are playing... Uh, some kind of the more perimeter game, they are not able to defend the other player playing that kind of the game. So yes, you can get a player that can play inside, but the same kind of the player on the defensive side of the court will usually have a big problem. So the first one, that's the first reason. Uh, the second reason I think so is, uh, I know that a lot of people will not agree with me on the, this one, but this is just my perspective of you, is the society that we are living in. I think so sport is just middle of society. We are living in society that we are teaching the kids from the day one, including my kids, uh, about comfortable life, about uh, 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 how uh, life is not tough. It should not be tough the way it used to be. Playing at the low post, playing inside, where you're supposed to score, shoot, pass, take decisions when somebody is hitting you and banging you from behind is not very comfortable. That's why I think so. Tendency right now is that most of these young guys, they don't want to get in this kind of the game and they are going toward the outside. And the third reason is the new generation of the coaches, young coaches, the way, uh, the way game is played, uh, they never, uh, from the young ages, they never played with the big guys strictly inside. And that way, even then tactically, they don't know how to use them on correct way and also their teammates who growing up without uh, big men playing inside, once later on in career, when they find somebody who actually plays inside, it's really difficult for them uh, to communicate and play and play with them on the way they are playing. Well, and uh, lots of things there to be able to uh, dive a little bit deeper in to, to direct your thinking about how you're going to coach players. But... I guess the question is, especially when you talked about the modern big and the modern pick and roll, are there any things that you think a modern pick and roll big player must have to be successful at the highest level in Europe or in America? 
Okay, let's uh, let's analyze what uh, big man needs to uh, needs to have. So, first of all, let let's let's start with detection of the earliest talent for the big man. So there are a couple of things that I think so that we are detecting somebody who is a 14, 15, 16 years old and who is one day potentially going to be interior big man that we need to detect to be able to uh, play in today's modern basketball. Number one is a height. Uh, it's not necessarily that he's supposed to be 7'2", 7'3", 7'4", 7'5", but also somebody who is a 6'2", is really difficult they can play uh, on that position. So we, first of all, the thing that you cannot teach or learn is a height. That's the first thing that we need to detect. Uh, the second thing is uh, uh, connections in between uh, hands and eyes. Is meaning that uh, what we call in the basketball simply good hands. Why is that? Well, because today, in the today, modest basketball, uh, the big man, they score mostly off offensive rebound or they score mostly off uh, driving and passing for cutting inside or they score of the rolling. So basically, in the most of the cases, they are, they are uh, scoring directly from the pass, from the quick pass inside of the traffic without being able to dribble the ball. For that thing, you need to have a good hand. So you need to have a good eye-hand coordination. The third thing, what a big man uh, in today's basketball uh, supposed to have is a lateral quickness. Again, modern uh, basketball requires not only uh, attack with a pick and roll, but also defend pick and roll with all tactical varieties, meaning switching, is meaning hedging, is meaning do, doing all kinds of stuff. And for that, uh, today big men really need to laterally have uh, good lateral quickness. So these basically these three things I think so is are most important that we detect at early age if we want to develop somebody somebody in the high quality uh, professional uh, athlete or playing and, at the position. And does that early identification does that still traditionally that starts from height, or are we now looking at other things as you mentioned as the priority initially? I don't think so that height is any more uh, priority. Because I think so, even undersized big men, there are, there are many examples that in today's basketball can do perfectly well uh, the job. So when I say the height, I didn't mean necessarily that we are looking for, for seven-footer, but I mean height is advantage. But if, if height is not followed by the good athletic part, then height cannot be used. So, and, and that's great that you said that, because I've heard you say this before, the value of teaching all players, not just tall players, all players post moves, post footwork, finishing around the rim. So I'm wondering if this modern game has limited our ability to be able to develop guards and different types of players in the post. Uh, exactly like you said, you know, the, when you're talking to the young coaches, they all have idea uh, of not specializing by position, until certain age. So let's say until the, I don't know, 14, 15 years, everybody are basically playing all position. In the theory, this is the way it's supposed to be. But coach, young coaches without, without experience, usually they consider, let's put the big man outside 
and let's play with everybody outside. Nobody is not considering that, yes, you should everybody teach how to play on outside position, but also you should teach all your players how to play inside. For be able to, to be able to have complete player, the point guard, the two guard, the three guard, they're supposed to know also how to play on the low post. And the big man supposed to know how to dribble, how to take a ball from the side to side, how to shoot from outside. Couldn't agree more. And you coming back to one of your other parts here about developing hands, uh, what, what are some things that we can be doing as coaches to be able to develop these types of hand-eye coordination things that help players succeed in the modern pick-and-roll game and beyond? Well, first of all, there are these things that I that I said that we need to detect height, hand-eye coordination, and the lateral quickness. Yes, they can be uh, – we, we can get better. During the time, we can work or we can get better. But these three things, I think so, they are one of the most difficult things to get better. Because I think so, this is what we call talent, and this is what we or what uh, a player is genetically uh, putting from from uh, from their side. So this is really difficult to get better. Yes, it's during a long period of time with a different kind of the exercising every year, uh, strength and conditioning, and the coaching overall is getting better. And we can get a little bit better in these three things. But basically, uh, uh, I would rather uh, on the begin detect somebody who is having these qualities as a base and work on all other things. So with that then, and talking about developing uh, players in, in, in all these different ways, are, is, is the best way still one-on-one in the post? Because I imagine when you came up, you played a ton of one-on-one in the post and you had to learn how to figure things out and apply attack and counter and different things like that. Is, is that something over one-on-oh and different things like that that helps players develop? Let, let's, let's say that the playing the game is like writing the book. Let's say that playing one-on-one is like writing the sentence. But for write a sentence, you actually know, you need to know the letters and you need to know the, uh, the part of that uh, sentence. You need to know the words. So, yes, 101 is a really good thing. But there are steps that we need to know from before that makes difference in between average player and between extra players. So, uh, individual technique, individual, individual tactics come uh, way before uh, we start uh, to do uh, one-on-one stuff on the low post. That I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. It's a really important part of the developing the player, helping players how to do the right way. But if you just put somebody to play on the low post and you didn't do all previous steps before to teach him right tools how to play one-on-one offensively and defensively, players are just getting frustrated and basically, usually they are giving up. Hey, coach, just a brief interruption of the podcast to hear from one of our supporters. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slow making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play. And BetOnline has the best odds, lines for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated an NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devote gamblers to check out. 
BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Now back to the podcast. So, and that makes sense that there's a progression in learning and there's a development of movement from one-on-oh to one-on-one. And then where do you like to take players from there? Because obviously so much of, whether it's catching it off the pick and roll or it's catching it in the post, so many of these situations come down to read and react, make decisions. So what do you, where do you go from after say one-on-oh to one-on-one to develop these decision-making capabilities? Well, let's, let's, let's first of all say that I can talk about two cases. I can talk about cases when we are in the team and then we have an hour, uh, we have available uh, all positions we have in the team, one, two, three, four, five. Or when we are doing big man camp and we have only big men that are in the camp. So if we are in the camp, we are usually starting because we have a time, we are usually starting with the lateral shots, with the hooks, with the jump hooks, doing everything without dribble, facing the basket, then doing everything with the dribble, without dribble, back to the basket, then we include one dribbles, two dribbles, then we are including what we call uh, uh, talking defense. Basically, uh, the coach is saying to defense exactly what you're supposed to do uh, to uh, so offense can uh, practice first time with some kind of a position. And the next thing is a one-on-one. After one-on-one, we are going, uh, we are going, we are doing first one on one by letting player receive the ball. Then we are doing one on one by fighting for position and receive the ball. Then we are doing one on one coming uh, from the weak side to the strong side. Uh, then we are starting doing one on one after all. And then we are including the second big bang. We are starting doing it uh, two against two high low positions and also position with both guys are on the low post where two blocks are full. And we are finishing by the end of the camp doing a two against two plus two players passing the ball on the two rims. This is when we are doing a big man camp without outside position. When we are doing it with, uh, as a part of the preseason, as a part uh, getting in the season with a full team, obviously we don't have that much time to spend with the basic work, one against zero. So we are going right away on the parts of the game. And when we are doing one against one with the big man, we are usually usually doing separately. Big man on the one side and exterior players on the one side. When we put them together, the way I do it, I usually do the, the stuff with that here in particular. I need offensively or defensively. I'm doing separately on two against two or three against three. And... Later on, five against five. Uh, good stuff in terms of that and understanding kind of how you proceed with stuff. And are, are you teaching more skill development on the prim- perimeter than in the past with what you would call traditional bigs? Uh, again, two different things. Uh, okay. In the big bang camp, uh, since we have a one week, 10 days, I'm trying to give to the big man what usually they are not giving them inside of the team. So I'm I'm not teaching much of the pick and roll game or of the, or the something that players usually do on the daily basis in, in their clubs. I'm teaching them more uh, uh, 
lateral shots, uh, how to play with the contact, how to play interior. I'm trying to teach them something that usually is not work in the in the their uh, clubs. When we are doing uh, in inside of the team work, uh, I basically analyze the player, what kind of the profile player is, and then on the one side, I'm using the stuff what he already had, and in the communication with the player, we are decided deciding about one particular goal of getting better for that season. When you are during the competition season, you can you're getting better cannot really go wide. You cannot really go into so much stuff. What you can do is go in particular thing that that player need, and during the season working with them on getting better. If that includes outside shooting or attacking a face from mid-range or from outside, then we do that. So let's get into maybe a little bit of specific stuff then. Can you give me some of the teaching points that you share with your players? Uh, let's start with off pick and roller catches. So the pick, pick and roll setting player rolls and catches the ball in space. What are some of the decisions or some of the cues or teaching points that you're using for that player? Well, first of all, something that I completely changed from the time that I was player from until now. When somebody is sending the screen for pick and roll, uh, I'm teaching to players not to roll anymore by turning the back, but roll with the face. It's basically screen and then keep running aside. Do not pivot back. This is the first thing. I also teach them that all difference and of, of making difference, beating or not beating men, scoring, not scoring, is in the first step after the screen. So it's important. The first step is explosive, quick, long, and low. So we are not sending the screen low, then we are getting up, then we go down again. We are keeping the height constantly safe. And then, depends on the defense of the picker roll is the way we are finishing later on. If defense is in the uh, drop and there is no bump, we need the big man, obviously, to roll all the way and try to catch the ball, complete the other ring for alley-oop or for bounce pass. If they are doing uh, hedge defense, that ball will usually not come directly from the ball handler, but triangulated uh, ahead or behind. It's meaning that the big man is supposed to roll in the middle of the paint, seal the rotation, and last for the ball. So catching in the zone depends basically a lot of defense uh, that is playing against. Good, good, good. And then maybe let's focus now on the uh, pick and roll, the, the pick and pop. So the, the screener pops and catches the ball in space on the perimeter. What are some of the teaching points and decisions there? Well, again, uh, we are, again, the same way. Uh, we are teaching the players, most of the time, pick and pop is not even pick, but most of the time is a slip. That's the first thing. Second thing, we need to be able to recognize switching because a lot, at least in the Europe, it's done switching with the four men doing a, doing a popping. Uh, the second thing, we are trying to teach the players the distance in between the screen and the moment of the catching the ball supposed to be greatest as possible. So rotation cannot catch uh, the back. Uh, the next thing that we are working is a variety of uh, 
uh, shots in the taking decision once when player takes the ball. First thing being the shot, second thing uh, being the drive uh, directly to the basket, third thing being a one or two dribble pull-up or floater, or variety of the endings. I love it. And uh, now let's talk about they've caught the ball in the low post. Let's say they have a defender behind them, no double team or anything like that, just one-on-one opportunity in the post. What are some decisions and reads and, and teaching points you're sharing? First of all, it's a question of um, philosophy. Do you have the player who actually can score on the low post or you want to use the player on the low post? Great point, coach. Coach, let's start with first that they can score. That's a great point. Okay. So if they can score on the low post, my philosophy is basically, and there is no two against one, you just need to uh, keep people on perimeter, worry about people on perimeter. So you need to give a space to that player who is playing on the low post to play one-on-one. So I'm not really uh, crazy about too much screening in the movement on outside. Yes, it's supposed to be some movement. It's supposed to be especially based on the reading. But basically, uh, if the player who is playing inside is good enough to play one-on-one, you just want to create the space so he can play one-on-one. Rule also, we never, if there is no double team, we don't want to have a man in the same corner when the man is playing on the low post. One more rule. In the most of the cases, I want always uh, the, the, the signal for the player for perimeter to pass ball inside is if, is if the big man is having one foot in the paint. Because most of the big men, they are capable of finishing with the one foot in the paint. Yes, there are some exceptions. There are some great players. Even if they receive it further, they can finish it. But even if they receive the further and they are good at finishing, spacing with the outside players is not good because the defense can sag, can come back. So these are a couple of the things that we are teaching as a team when players are receiving the ball on the low post. One of the points that we always said from the early age, from the 14, 15 years, when you receive on the ball on low post, Protect the ball, chin the ball, turn head over your shoulder, detect position of the rest of the players, and then play. When you are playing on the low post, always try to get the deepest as possible in the paint because what we are looking for, what I am looking for from the big man, is not only scoring. You are looking for the scoring, you are looking for draw the foul, and if you draw the help, you are looking that you're going to pass uh, to your teammates. So basically, when we are putting ball, somebody on the low post is for these three reasons, not only for the one of those reasons. Cool, good stuff. And maybe let's now go to that scenario where they can't score in the low post. And are you using them mainly as a passer then? Is that the goal of passing it to them? Yes. Now, we can use as a passer any of the far places. We are not looking for somebody that we can score. We can use guy on the low post. One, two, three, four, five. There are sets, there are many of the sets with a different movement from outside that we are using to put the uh, ball inside. Uh, this started to be really modern in the last five or six years in the, in the European basketball, putting balls because, like you said in the beginning, every year we have a less and less people who know how to play inside. So they are now using the pass inside as a passing point. And then we are using the series of cuts, all ball screens, handoffs 
with a big man uh, to uh, create advantage on outside position. Perfect. And now versus uh, double team versus the you bring two to the ball. Well, first of all, to create a double team, you're supposed to have somebody who is a good enough that the other coach is a that the other coach is a worried uh, about him uh, creating advantage. Well, maybe so, let's start with that coach. Let's yeah, let's assume they are. But also, are you seeing less frequent double teams because of the devaluation of the low post? No, I'm seeing I'm seeing uh, less frequent double teams because there are less players who know how to do that. And since there is less players how to do that, when you find the one that actually does that, the way the, the other the other players in opposite team, they're not used to it. Defend the low post, usually you have a double team. So purely defending one-on-one somebody who is dom- dominating on the low post, every day it's uh, rarely to see. Usually when you have somebody who is really good on the low post, the other team is not used to it. They don't have the other post defender, so usually usually they go with the double team. Uh, the double teams, the most common double teams what we are finding in Europe is a double team from the last man from the weak side, coming from the uh, from the baseline. From the baseline when side, the yeah. Paint turns, we are sending him toward the baseline and the, uh, the, the last man on the weak side comes and uh, doubles. At that point, the guy who uh, the guy who uh, did uh, double team, uh, the guy who he's defending, supposed to cut in the middle of the paint, and then we have a three guys on perimeter, and that way we are able to punish either by passing to him or punish it uh, outside. One one thing, let's make it clear uh, that uh, if you have a four guys, they are under thirty percent three point shooter. And you have the best post player in the world, he will not be able to work. So it's not enough that you have excellent tactics, low post player, and you can take advantage. You're supposed to have good outside shooter. They are keeping uh, attention of the defenders so they cannot help. So actually, low post player can play. Um, the, the, the one more thing that is in Europe used a lot is uh, uh, doubling uh, on the dribble, on the catch, from the passer. So when passer is passing the ball, they are jumping directly on the catch, on the dribble. This is the one case when that man shoots line in the corner, open the line of the pass. This is the only time that basically we are using in my teams to put men in the corner when they are doubling on the catch from the passer on the dribble. So let's say that you have an Let's start with an imperfect lineup to start with. So you have, let's say, two or one of your uh, fours or fives that cannot shoot the ball. What is it, What are some strategies to be able to play with a big now in the modern game that doesn't shoot the ball? Well, first, let's start from, uh, from the simple stuff. It's meaning if we have the four men, who is not shooter or four and five who is not shooter, we are hoping that at least one of them or both of them, since they cannot shoot, they're actually good playing inside. Yes. So we definitely, first thing that we can do is put ball inside and create advantage from there. Putting the one man on the low post with the ball and the opposite 
in the opposite corner, where opposite corner of the paint, where we are, con I don't know what is the name of the English, where we are connecting the baseline with, uh, with the line of the zone. We want to put at that position, big man, so defender cannot follow visually at the same time. Man on the low post with the ball and his own player who is behind his back. That's a, that's the first thing, put the ball on low post. The second thing, what has been uh, part of the game that again, late, later uh, in the last 10 years is, is, will not, is not used that much like used to be uh, off ball screens. So if we cannot play that much uh, pick and roll, because we don't have a stretch four, we can play series of four ball screen. And the third thing, when we are playing pick and roll, there are the ways of playing pick and roll with the two big guys that are no shooters. Occupy, occupy it in the space differently than usually is done with a stretch four. Love it. Great example. And then I assume with two shooters uh, and really five people that can shoot the ball, I mean, the versatility is tremendous. So in that type of, let's say, perfect lineup, what were some of the what would be some of the strategies that you would want to use? The, the perfect lineup is basically if you have uh, five players on the court, they can play multiple positions. So you have two big men, they can pop or roll. You have a three outside player, they can shoot, drive or post. That, that gives you a limited number of uh, of variations. But basically, it's really it's really easy because according, let's talk about only about big men. According what kind of the defense they do, you are using the one of the other big men to roll or pop to punish their defense. So if they are doing uh, uh, hedging, okay, popping for uh, side pick and roll with empty corner, popping, it's a really uh, good way uh, to do it. Then if they are playing with a regular lineup when they have a one big man and one four man usually that big man is not really good defending pop situations then you are basically using more your five men to pop and you are using more your four men to roll so this is really this is really the example of what you're saying is really luxury having stuff like that no question. It's ideal for all of us in coaching. So, coach, I'm wondering then with um, with with your philosophy, do you do you track post touches? Do you track anything in terms of post play? Uh, uh, I think so. That uh, in the United States, uh, I'm going to say something that I I might not have fully knowledge about it, but my feeling is the way the knowledge that I have that when the, High school coaches or college coaches, when they are recruiting the players, they are recruiting players for their system. So basically, you can have your your own philosophy because you are recruiting player who will fit your philosophy. In the Europe, since you basically go to the team and they tell you, listen, you have here six six or seven players, you can sign the three, the new ones. You can have your philosophy, but really doesn't matter because you need to adapt yourself on the things that you have on the court. Absolutely. And uh, so taking this to that next step for you as a coach, then maybe, especially in terms of the value of passing, uh, passing out of situations, whether it's pick and roll or playing through the low post, what are some of the ways that you've developed over time to be able to improve post player passing or pick and roll catchers passing? 
I think so. The passing is a great ability. I always admire players who can do that, who can see first option scoring, second option passing. But I always said, if you are not dangerous and if you are not threat to score, you will not be able to pass. Because if nobody doesn't want to help on you, if they don't know they will not shoot or score, there is no help. There is no, there is no who we can pass ball to. So I think the so first thing and important thing is to have threat to score. And after that, second option to pass. I think so is important uh, from the day one, since we start to play basketball, not only shoot, dribble, shoot, dribble, shoot, shoot, dribble, but also teach passing. At least teach passing technique because I think so that uh, you can get better in the passing until certain level because I think so that's also a question of the talent of recognizing or not recognizing the game. Uh, is it true that uh, uh, the, the coaches that I had and also the coaches that I was assistant to uh, since I began to coaching, we were always making, trying to make a job easier for guards, for the big men, telling them exactly where to pass the ball according to the what kind of defense is played. Which, which makes sense, and uh, that development part that goes with it. And then I, I think the other part that I think you can bring some expertise to for all coaches is teaching finishing at the rim. So we finally get a player with an opportunity to be able to shoot at the rim. Let's, first, let's say first with a defender between them and the basket, but they're deep enough to still shoot. What are some teaching points or finishing ideas that you share with players? Well, first of all, I, I, this is this is the one of the first thing that we do at the camp. I think so that uh, uh, like we begin this uh, chat when we when we begin talking that there are no more that many big men. Uh, the way there are no no more uh, big men. The way the game is not played that way. Less and less players are having ability to finish with the contact. When is a player? in between them and the ring. Usually there are good athletes who will jump over you, dunk the ball, do a loop or make one dribble, try to go around or make extra pass. But actually the players who know how to finish with contact, every year there are less and less of them. That's why I think so the lateral shots, where we are putting the body in between the ball and the defender, like a hook and jump hook, are essential if you want to play effectively in the zone. And this is some of the stuff that we basically teach every day at the camp. And also, there are routines, what we do in the team. Uh, there are, you know, there are shooting drills uh, in the morning or afternoon or after weightlifting that we do, you know, we say to the players, okay, let's make a 200 or let's make, uh, I don't know, uh, 10 position by 20 shots. And everybody is assuming like, okay, let's take outside shots. When in my teams, I'm always the people who are playing under the rim. They are required the 50 or the percent of the shots that they take. They're supposed to be with the back to the basket or they're supposed to be lateral shots. So a lot of, a lot of scoring around the rim, a lot of work on that. And then is, is a lot of that progress, is that live? Is it guided? Is the defender just a coach? Well, how are some ways that you're actually developing that then? Again, de depends on the situation. If we are if we are during the summertime, like you said, yeah, like you said before, we are beginning uh, one against zero without without any defense 
pace in the bucket, then we are beginning back to the bucket without any defense. Then we are beginning with a guided defense. Then we are going like one against one. So yes, it goes step by step. That we are basically uh, trying to force the player to use the tools and stuff that we did it one against zero. But if we are in the season, basically uh, depend how much time we have. This year, my team played two competitions together with the traveling. Last time when I did this much traveling was I was NBA player. So it was really crazy. It's very difficult uh, to put any extra work working on improvement when you are basically just trying to go game to the game and win the games. So it's going from the situation to situation. And let's let's maybe shift because you've said this a few times. You've talked about some of the differences, but especially in terms of referencing defense and, and then how the defense is playing. So maybe let's talk about the defensive side. What is your preference or what's your preferable way to deal with a dominant low post scorer? So someone that can score in the low post. I always try to put myself as a, as a big man. I always try to put myself as a big man in the position. What was for me most difficult on the low post? First of all, catch the ball in the most difficult situation. is meaning not catch the ball with one or two feet under the rim, but catch the ball outside. So you need to do, use two, three or four dribbles to get close to the rim. That's the, that's the first thing. And that two, three, four dribbles gives opportunity to outside players to help fake recover, dig in, maybe steal the ball or deflect the ball. Uh, once, when you are in the paint, if I need to choose the way uh, to double the player, I will always choose coming from the baseline from opposite sides. There are very few players, once when they turn, toward the bucket with the middle close with the other player coming from the baseline who are able to find the pass, right pass, and get advantage from it. Hey, Coach. Just a brief interruption of the podcast to hear from one of our supporters. There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slow making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play and Bet Online has the best odds, lines for their upcoming games and matches. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devote gamblers to check out. Bet Online also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Hey coach, just a brief interruption of our podcast to take time to tell you about one of our supporters, manscaped.com. Ow, damn. Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Coaches, it's great to be able to share a product that I've used. I can confirm that manscaped.com works. Men start taking notes because Manscaped accidents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks tugs. This is their third generation trimmer featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad boys nice and smooth. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience 
and they spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower too. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. Your balls will thank you. Now back to the podcast. And then maybe from that other perspective, then how about someone who's not a scorer, but is a really good passer in the low post? What are some defensive strategies there? I mean, I said before, but again, this is a, this is a me, my, my, my way of seeing the things. They are more like a player, like the coach, like it's really difficult that you're going to pass the ball. If your defender is staying uh, six feet of you. Mm-hmm. So I think so. First of all, you need to be a decent threat to be able to pass the ball. When you come to the high levels of the scouting and knowing your personnel, it's really difficult that op- uh, op- opposite coach, coach of the of the your team that you are playing against, gonna go crazy pressuring you and playing defense of you if you never don't look, look to the ring. So it basically, first you need to be threat to be able to. Uh, to pass the ball. Now, if we're talking to somebody who is an unbelievable player and who is a threat of the scoring and passing, uh, as a coach, I always believe that exceptionally players, they cannot be stopped one-on-one. Stopping exceptionally players is a team effort. And uh, I also believe uh, this is my philosophy. And if I have uh, opportunities, I always apply that. I'm not the uh, kind of coach who is playing conservative defense waiting for the other team to make mistake. I prefer force them to make mistake. Yeah, I like that. I like that for sure. And uh, so now understanding this philosophy and all these things you've talked about in terms of, you know, post player, uh, pick and roll player. Now, how do you connect those ideas with the rest of your system or the, the perimeter players in specifics? Uh, what are some ways that you're developing the synergy between the perimeter and the inside players? Uh, I was sometimes, I was lucky enough to get to the team to head to head uh, uh, base of the players. They belong time playing together. And then basically you adapt more yourself to them. You see the way they play. You see what is a functioning for them. And the two or three players, there are new signings. You are trying to uh, sign the way they help the team to function without changing the philosophy of the team. If you are getting in the team, like let's say this year, this year we basically, we're going to sign eight new players. So inside of our limits of our budget, we are, we are trying to combine wishes of the my philosophy and also the players that are actually available on the market and they can execute that. So uh, 
I don't know, maybe you know, because he was a college player. We, this year we signed the big man, Jeffrey Grossell. And, Heard the name, uh, yeah. Together, he's, he's a decent low-post player, but if, he want, if we want him, I said before, if we want him to play on the low post, first of all, you're supposed to have a players on perimeter who are threats, because if they are all low percentage three-point shooters, he will not be able to play on the low post. And also, there are obviously better players than Jeffrey on the low post, but also we talked about that before. They might dominate low post, but you're going to suffer so much with them defensively that you need to choose, balance it in between offense and the defense. Of course, that balance, that balance is so important. And uh, do you find in that, 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 I guess, that struggle or that challenge to be able to create balance that, I mean, as a former post player, you can probably speak to this more, but that unfortunately the post usually loses out in the balance. And then what are some ways to be able to get guards to understand the importance of that balance? Uh, I agree with you. The post usually loses the, the, the <laughs> battle. Uh, you, um, when I was young, uh, really, really young player, and I started to play inside, one time I came to the coach and I say, coach, they are not passing ball to me. Can you tell them to pass? And the coach was ex-player and he told me, doesn't matter what I tell them, they're supposed to trust when they get the ball inside that that's the best option. So it doesn't matter what you want to play. And if you want to put ball inside, if the rest of the players are feeling that the player inside is not the one that can resolve that, they will try avoid it or whatever they do, they will do without convictions, what is really bad. Well, I didn't mean to bring up memories of being a post player, not getting the ball, but uh, that tends to be the thing. And then the other area that really stands out in that way is, is that when we want, and you talked about agile and mobile bigs, when we want bigs to run fast breaks hard, we want them to sprint out of cuts and different things like that. It's hard to do that if you're not getting the ball, right? Um, there are a lot of times when I when I'm talking to the big man and they are getting frustrating, you know, like uh, we are running coach, they are not passing us the ball, we are going for offensive rebound, but I'm not I'm not getting. But they, you know, I think so from my experience as a player, I think so is like two of ten. If you run ten times full sprint, twice you're gonna receive the ball. Eight times you're gonna draw that much attention by running through the middle that some of your teammates are gonna get. Uh, shot. It's the same with offensive rebound. Offensive rebound and the fast break are not a question of the quantity for the big man individual, individually. It's a more question of, of the, I'm sorry, it's not a question of the quality. It's a more question of the quantity. First come quantity that you're supposed to run every time, that you're supposed to go every time to offensive rebound, and then you can add knowledge how to run, where to run, uh, seal in the middle of the paint, knowing where ball going to bounce when you go to offensive rebound. So there is no help. As a big man, there is a big part of the game. There is a working part. And if you want to play as a big man, you need to take that for granted. Yeah, that's great. Great advice and great look into the mindset. And then uh, maybe just as a last question to kind of bring this all back and, and understand a little bit more your process. What are some of the things that you like to show your bigs with video? What are some things that maybe we don't think about as coaches that are really valuable for a big to be able to see on video? 
first of all, I'm working usually with big, big men that they are 18, 19, 20, 21, all the way to 30, 35 years old. I'm working with professional players. I'm not working with the young kids. And I think so video is a really, really important with the young kids because individually, not with the team, individually, because it's a much easier to teach somebody who is young, who doesn't have uh, no uh, uh, wrong habits to teach them something from the beginning correctly, that teach somebody who actually have a wrong habits uh, and change, change that when he's uh, 20 or 25. One of the things that I think so is really, really important for the big man is a stance. It's a center of the gravity. Uh, center of the gravity supposed to be lowest, a lowest point possible during the all the time. Not going up and down, but staying low. That center of the gravity will get you win in the many offensive and defensive battles. And it's really difficult to change that when you are 25. At the 13, 40 years old, you can do that. Good. And then, so going back to youth players, youth development, uh, connect this back to that then. What are some things that we should be doing and maybe we're not at the youth level to start to lay the foundation for future possibilities for these type of players? We, we, I'm, I'm always going back to the lateral shooting. Lateral shooting and uh, knowing how to play in the contact. You remember that you asked me on the beginning, coach, what are the some things what you are looking in that pick and roll player? Uh, that, that there is a one thing that I didn't say because I'm not looking that into uh, pick and roll player, but I think so. The, the, the fourth one is we say height. The two is uh, uh, coordination between hands in the eyes. The third one we say is the lateral uh, foot feet movement. And the fourth one, if you want to, not for pick and roll player, not for the more than big man, but for somebody who wants to play inside. If you are not ready to get hit and know how to manage and execute with the contacts, you cannot play inside. So if you are looking to teach somebody how to play inside, you should detect from the day one if he is willing to do that, because to my knowledge, he will not change. He will not change because player gets stronger. That's a tendency. That's a tendency. Go to contact or tendency go away from the contact. And that uh, art of know how to use the body, play in the contact, use the lateral shots is basically what makes good, solid interior player. Well, and it makes sense that, that, that what you just said helps all young players develop, right? That's not limited to just a position. Agree. It's the same way. Uh, anytime that you go closer to the rim, you're going to find the contact. Doesn't matter if you are point guard, driving face, or you are playing with the back. Every time you are getting closer to the rim, you're going to find opposition. And uh, like we were saying during the, all this uh, uh, meeting, is that uh, we should uh, we should uh, have everybody know how to use the back to the basket and lateral lateral shots. Um, I think so that I was lucky during the, my career when I was in Indiana, I was playing with Mark Jackson. We were, we were basing a lot of our offensive tactics, Mark Jackson, who was point guard, playing on the low post. 
So that's the kind of the point guard who was able to use the lateral shots, who was able to create from inside because of the threats that he was producing. Yeah, no, I can remember I can remember how good he was and how effective he was in those ways. And when, just to clarify for coaches, when you're talking about lateral shooting, can you give some examples so coaches connect that? About, uh, jump hooks, two feet jump hooks, and the one foot hook, regular hook, running hook, or the jump hook. In modern basketball, is used mostly jump hook, two feet lateral shot, and we are losing every day more and more hook. And I think so hook is really effective, especially if you are playing against somebody who is a heavier or somebody who is overpowering you and you want to use the speed. Coach, I can't thank you enough for just taking the time and sharing some of these insights. Just tremendous stuff for us to be able to stimulate our coaching. Thank you for taking the time. No problem. Thank you. Thank you to having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.